Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Today, our guest is Dr. Atul Diodar. He is a rheumatologist with a special interest in spondyloarthritis. He is the professor of medicine, medical director of the rheumatology clinics at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. He is the past chair of Spartan, which is the Spondyloarthritis Research and Treatment Network, on the steering committee of GRAPA, which is an international group for research related to psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, a member of ASIS, also an international group that assesses spondyloarthritis, and the American College of Rheumatology. He has written over 200 articles, authored three books, several book chapters, and has participated in 70-plus research trials. So I am thrilled to have you here today, and I know you do a lot of work and have invested a lot of your life into spondyloarthritis and the community associated with that. Uh, Today, our focus, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the relationship of the gut to axial spondyloarthritis. So welcome, Dr. Diodar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. I'm happy to be here. Let's dive right in. Uh, some people have ulcerative colitis and Crohn's in addition to axial spondyloarthritis. Tell me a little bit more about how those are connected and how common that occurrence is. Yes, so spondyloarthritis is a family of diseases, and axial spondyloarthritis is part of that family. But psoriatic arthritis is another member of that family. And interestingly, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, is also part of the spondyloarthritis family. So spondylo is spine, arthritis is arthritis. And Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, the main issue is inflammation in the gut. Ulcerative colitis, they've got uh, involvement of the colon especially. Crohn's can affect any part of your gastrointestinal tract from your mouth to the anus all over the place. And patients with spondyloarthritis uh, can have concomitant ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And your question was, how are they connected? We see patients with axial spondyloarthritis who may have frank ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease which we combined, we call IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. And about 7 to 8% of patients with axial spondyloarthritis will have frank ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. However, if you look at, if you if patients undergo colonoscopy, this is what I'm talking about, patients with axial spondyloarthritis who do not have frank ulcerative colitis or Crohn's undergoing colonoscopy, and if they undergo biopsy of their colon, up to 65, 70% of the patients may have pathologic evidence of inflammation in their gut. So this is subclinical inflammation in the gut, showing there is a connection between inflammation in your spine and peripheral joints, as well as inflammation in your gastrointestinal tract. That's really interesting. and. For the listeners, there's a lot of talk often about IBD and IBS. Are those the same thing? 
Yes, that's a good question. IBD is this inflammatory bowel disease where your immune system is attacking your gut. Ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease are members of the IBD. IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. The I in IBS and IBD is two different things. IBD is inflammatory bowel disease. IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome is very common. Uh, irritable bowel syndrome is not immune related. Irritable bowel syndrome is not common, or I should say not more common in axial spondyloarthritis compared to general population. Irritable bowel syndrome uh, causes abdominal pain and diarrhea and constipation alternate with each other. Very, very common. And people confuse that with IBD. IBD is a specific uh, uh, immune system related disease of your gut. So those two are different things. And inflammation is the key word there, right? Inflammation is the key word there. And um, so uh, several times patients with axial spondyloarthritis do complain of abdominal pain and diarrhea and etc. And then we do refer them to gastroenterology for specific tests for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's because if they do have it, treatment is different for those who have this condition versus those who don't have. IBS, if they have that, um, if they have that disease, uh, the biologic treatment or the treatment for their axial spondyloarthritis will not be different in patients who have or don't have IBS, but treatment will be different if they have got IBD or don't have IBD. So something really important for people to investigate. Absolutely. It makes yes. a difference in treatment and outcomes. Interesting. Yes. I want to I get into diet in, in a few minutes, but I think one of the things with all of these connections, there seems to be an increased level of research being done on the gut microbiome uh, in relationship to spondyloarthritis. Uh, mostly, to my knowledge, in recent years, it's, it's growing. Uh, what do we know now that maybe we didn't know previously that's driving that uptick around research connecting the two? Yes, gut microbiome research has become... Uh, a hot topic in rheumatology in general and certainly in axial spondyloarthritis. Um, we have about 300 to 500 different types of bacteria. We have about uh, 8 to 10 different types of fungi and we might have probably thousands of types of viruses in our gastrointestinal tract. And they live happily and um, the original research was done to find out what types of bacteria patients with axial spondyloarthritis have compared to what types of bacteria normal people have. And now this definition of normal also changes because people might have osteoarthritis or people may have something else or maybe have diabetes. And so it's difficult to know who exactly is a normal person with whom we are comparing the uh, spondyloarthritis patients with. What was shown initially was that the microbiome of patients with axial spondyloarthritis is different compared to patients who do not have axial spondyloarthritis. Let me put it that way. More recently, now after finding out this different, the microbiome is different, now we are interested in, okay, well, that's different. Now we need to get more granular. And now we need to find out why, uh, whether this is chicken or egg in the sense, whether the disease made their microbiome change or whether the change in microbiome they already have 
abnormal microbiome and that caused the disease and we are nowhere close to answering that question chicken or egg okay uh, that's part that's point number one point number two is the research is now going towards how do these bugs which are different causing the disease so the functional interaction of these bugs with the host so mechanism underlying these microbial perturbation and the disease development that's where the research is going now that it is definitely established the bugs are different fair enough now we need to find out okay next question is how do they interact with the host um, how does this microbial interaction with the host lead to the disease or is the disease came first and the microbial things change later and is that what your research is focused on currently that is one of the research that is done at Oregon Health and Science University. My personal research is clinical, but we have a lab here at Oregon Health and Science University and Dr. Tejpal Gill uh, is in charge of that lab and she is looking at um, the microbial dysbiosis is the word we use in axial spondyloarthritis. And we have found some very interesting things. Uh, you have heard of HLA-B27, the gene that is uh, that predisposes development of axial spondyloarthritis. Uh, this we have known since uh, early 1970s. And we did some research to look at, uh, you know, all of us uh, who are about the age of 50 have to undergo colonoscopy. Uh, that is required and, well, not required, but it is suggested. And we looked at uh, patients undergoing uh, colonoscopy about the age of 50 just as a routine colonoscopy and collected the bugs from their microbial from their gut and we also looked at how many patients were HLA B27 positive and we looked at 100 patients undergoing colonoscopy at OHSU 10 of them were HLA B27 positive these are normal individuals undergoing colonoscopy Interestingly, we found out that patients who were HLA-B27 positive did not have axial spondyloarthritis, have gut microbiome that was different compared to people who were B27 negative, which is very curious. And these people did not have the disease. They did, they did not have axial SPA. They just had the gene. And their gut microbiome was closer to what you see in axial SPA. So we are now thinking there is a relationship between the genetics of the patient and the gut microbiome they have. Um, so that oh, wow. is number one. Very interesting thing. The other thing that uh, Dr. Gill is involved in is now, as I said earlier, getting to the uh, little bit at a uh, more uh, focus about the function, the functional interactions between this gut microbiome and 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 the um, and the host as to why are these gut microbiome, uh, which are different, causing this disease? And she, she's looking at that, getting at a more granular level. And do you think that will, uh, in the future, change treatments? We are hoping so. So to give you an example, we metabolites. Metabolites are the, um, uh, are the products which are made by the um, because of this interaction, this could be short-chain fatty acids, uh, long-chain fatty acids, etc. And uh, the metabolites, we think, may hold the key um, for the inflammation. At least part of the uh, inflammation could be related 
to the metabolites and the metabolites you can measure in stool you can measure them in in the blood in patients who have the disease patients who don't have the disease patients who have one particular type of microbiome patients who have a different type of microbiome uh, this is what this is what i was saying the relationship between the microbes and the host uh, the functional interaction yeah that's fascinating and so for listeners to take something and apply it immediately um to any of this uh, as a practical measure is there anything in terms of diet or supplements that people should avoid or embrace yeah um this is a very common question that is asked to me by my patients about prebiotics and probiotics and etc what should i take and etc the real uh, and the correct answer is the research hasn't gone to a stage where it has research hasn't shown one particular diet is better than the other let me put it that way the probiotics um, contain the bacteria probiotics are the bacteria prebiotics are the plant based prebiotics are basically plant based fiber okay and prebiotics is the food for the probiotic probiotics are bugs prebiotic is plant simply put that way think think about it this way prebiotic is plant probiotic is bacteria all right plant is the food for the bacteria so prebiotic is the food for the bacteria the uh, bacteria stay happy by this plant-based fiber you're feeding them and the bacteria are converting what we are eating um, and that is high uh, long chain fatty acids and the bacteria are breaking it down to short chain fatty acid and there are a couple of short chain fatty acids which have been shown to be important in reducing the inflammation so um, the couple that i can think of is uh, butyrate propionate and this was actually shown work a propionate was actually shown here at ohsu uh, research that was done in, in uh, dr gill's lab there was somebody else who was working on that before she came so uh, butyrate propionate could in future be um, supplements for reducing the inflammation however I want to quickly jump and tell people don't really go and start buying butyrate and propionate as yet because we don't really know the dose we don't know how much it is going to reduce the inflammation etc all of this work has been done in mice and rats in animals in humans this is yet to show it is not yet ready uh, but you're asking this question what can people do immediately i don't think there is people can do anything immediately however we are making steady progress about the probiotics well the current probiotics people can have which you buy over the counter and as i said probiotics are bugs they contain lactobacilli they contain bifidobacteria almost all of the probiotics you will buy are bifidobacteria but these are dead i mean when you buy that uh, over the shelf thing these these bacteria they don't they are not living they, it, it's in the pill right and so i don't know whether this uh, dead bacterium that you swallow the pill as a probiotic it's going to really do anything we at least in humans people have not shown that probiotics are going to reduce gut inflammation or probiotics are going to help in xlspa but they are found in some foods right yes great point and that brings to the point i mean so yes so um 
uh, things like yogurt and that is live those are live bacteria so you're absolutely correct uh, jill that we should really be looking at the foods and live bacteria probiotics lactobacillus bifidobacterium those are useful in the food um, and and patients should certainly use that i mean i don't think it's going to harm i don't know how much it's going to help uh, because studies haven't really shown that it's going to help but you're right. So rather than spending the money on buying pills, which have got dead bacteria, foods, good idea, probiotics, okay. which is bacteria. But the prebiotic pills are those? Prebiotic is, uh, as I said, that is the plant-based fiber. That is going to, you already have lactobacillus in your gut, bifidobacterium in your gut. By prebiotics, you're keeping them happy. Let me put it that way. Okay. So you are feeding your bacteria by prebiotics. So a fiber-rich diet may do the same thing? Yes. Fiber-rich okay. uh, diet will do the same thing. You're absolutely okay. right. Very interesting. Are uh, Has it been defined what would cause a flare-up in somebody with axial spondyloarthritis in the gut? Or are we still, the germs yeah. still out? <laughs> Yeah, um, I know exactly what you're asking. I don't think there are there are any studies to show um, that during flare, does the gut microbiome change? And when the patient settles down, does the gut microbiome get back to where it was? And I don't think we know this because then the question is, I mean, so one of the other research that is being done is how do the drugs that are currently being used in axial spondyloarthritis, which make patients feel better, do those drugs change the gut microbiome? And we don't know the answer to that. Oh, and that would also be a big. fascinating study. It'll be fascinating, wouldn't it? So, yeah, gut microbiome research. So, one thing which I also wanted to add is this field has um, gone quite, uh, you know, has exponentially uh, grown mainly because of some of the advances that we have in finding these bugs. In the olden days, uh, Jill, if you think about how do we know about the bacteria by culture? I mean, you know, if somebody has urinary tract infection, you uh, urine culture, and that tells you what bugs there are. For gut microbiome, the culture is never possible because these gut microbiomes are, they are anaerobic, which means they cannot be grown with uh, oxygen. Oxygen is bad for them. Oxygen kills them. So they're anaerobic. They cannot be, you cannot culture them outside. So we do what is called next generation sequencing, NGS, next generation sequencing techniques. This is a big advance in the field of uh, microbiology where you are looking at a particular conserved gene in these bacteria. And this is 16S ribosomal gene. I won't go into the detail what 16S ribosomal gene is, but that gene is conserved. And looking at that gene, you can exactly say, oh, this is bifidobacterium. Oh, this is lactobacillus, etc." And this is only in the bacteria. So these 300 to 500 bugs that we have found in the gut is by this next generation sequencing and metagen um, metagenomics and etc. So these are the advances in the field of micro. Um, of uh, my, uh, the microbiology has helped us specify which these bugs are in the in the gut, and and because of that, um, but it is still difficult in the sense if somebody is on a drug and they're feeling better, 
uh, I guess one can take the stool sample and do it and look whether there are any changes. And then if they're flaring, we, we are looking at this. We haven't really come to any conclusion whether the gut microbiome changes that rapidly when they're flaring and when they're doing well. That's really interesting. I'm going to throw you a wild card question here. So as we learn more about the the gut and microbiome, is it fair to say that there could be found a correlation of what's in your gut is what's causing your joint pain? Um, at, at some stage, yes. Um, so let me take a step back. One of the common questions patients say, why did I get axial SPA? And I mean, this is a very common question. Why did I get lupus? Why did I get rheumatoid arthritis, doctor? What is, why did I get this? I mean, you can say, why did I get infection? I mean, that's very straightforward. I mean, somebody coughed on you in the aeroplane and that's why you got the infection. Or why did, why did you get an autoimmune disease? And my answer is number one is genetics. You are a product of your mom and dad and you inherited some genes. So those genes make you... Um, uh, it increases your risk of getting certain disease. HLA-B27 is an example. But then not everybody with who has got that gene gets the disease. So there is an environmental factor. That's where gut microbiome comes in. So people have done the interesting twin studies, identical twins. Identical twins have got the absolute same genetic material. That's why they are identical. So if one, one twin gets axial spondyloarthritis, what is the risk of the other twin, identical twin getting axial spondyloarthritis? And the answer is, it's only 26%. So there is wow. a huge, yeah, so there is a huge big environmental factor. And I, I guess these genes were raised in the same, you know, with the, by the same parents, probably eating similar things. Anyhow, but the, so that's another interesting way of trying to find out whether microbial uh, bios, dysbiosis or the microbial things are different in these two gene, in these two twins or not. So anyway, getting back to the original question that you asked, the environmental factors which make somebody develop a disease um, are different in patients with the same genetic material. So when somebody asks me the question as to why did I get the disease, I tell them number one, genetics and number two, environmental factors. And that environmental factors is this gut microbiome and the changes that we are seeing them in patients with axial SPA and also with other diseases as well. Wow. And it really goes to speak to, as humans, we're a system, right? Yes. yes. We're a yes. system that requires right. and, care. And then, and... And, and, and then, then, then the questions arise as to American diet is very different than Mediterranean diet and is very different than uh, people born in Africa and uh, Indian diet and people in South America and Japanese diet and Chinese diet is very different. And then how come these, so then some diseases are more common in one continent than the other. Is it because of the their diet? And by changing the diet, can we change the gut microbiome and will that change permanently or will it change for a short time? And then can we maintain that diet if we find this? I mean, there are so many unknown questions. And that's the reason why I hesitate to tell my patients that, oh, change your diet and everything will be fine. A, we don't know that is the case. And B, how can you follow the same diet for the rest of your life? I mean, it is difficult. 
uh, it's you difficult know. for a week. <laughs> exactly. Holidays come in between. You have to go out for dinner. I mean, you know, you life happens and then you are enjoying life. And so changing the diet and changing the gut microbiome, I think, is a thing of future. Uh, there may be, we might be able to do some supplementation of the meta, uh, of the metabolites, as I was saying earlier, which might be able to uh, supplement your diet with these metabolites. Uh, and that might actually help with your inflammation and et cetera. That's really interesting. And I, I think more than one rheumatologist has said, when it comes to diet, if if you make a change and you feel better, yep. try and stick with it. <laughs> I completely agree with you. That's a great advice. And I exactly tell my patients that I cannot tell you a particular diet you should be using, but you know, you can if you find that one particular thing doesn't really, uh, or, or it makes your disease flare, then don't use that. I mean, it's very straightforward. And yeah, um, yeah. So. Yeah, I know that firsthand. Uh, <laughs> so when a patient does come to you with uh, with symptoms or with a diagnosis of Crohn's, IBD, ulcerative colitis. What is the best way for them to engage with you, or do they look for a different specialist where you work together to come up yeah, with treatment yeah. options? Yes. So I'm a rheumatologist, and I don't see patients who are who have primary diagnosis of ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. I am um, a rheumatologist, so I treat patients with axial spondyloarthritis. I always have this in my mind whether they have IBD as well, because if they do IBD again, inflammatory bowel disease ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. If they have that, I definitely involve gastroenterologist uh, in uh, treating them because, I, and I made this point earlier, if they have got inflammatory bowel disease, then there are certain drugs we can use, certain drugs we cannot use. So I'm, I'll just uh, go into the treatment. Interleukin-17 inhibitors, IL-17 inhibitors have been approved for the treatment of axial spondyloarthritis. They work very nicely on the axial skeleton. They work very nicely on the peripheral skeleton, on their joints. They work very nicely on the skin, on psoriasis, etc. However, if somebody has got IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, interleukin-17 inhibitors cannot be used. They might make the IBD worse. That's why it is important to know whether your patient with axial SPA has a comorbidity such as IBD. In that case, we cannot use this particular class of drugs. Tumor necrosis factor inhibitors, TNF inhibitors, can be used in this group of patients who have got both inflammatory bowel disease and axial spondyloarthritis. There is a new class of drugs, JAK inhibitors, Janus kinase inhibitors. These are pills. And they have uh, been, there are two pills, uh, two drugs, um, tofacitinib and upadacitinib, and they have been approved for by the FDA for treatment of axial spondyloarthritis, and they can be used if somebody has got IBD and axial SPA. So that's why involving uh, gastroenterologist is important. And earlier you asked me a question about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So it is important for me and for the patient to distinguish between IBD and IBS, and that's where gastroenterologists will be important as well. By doing a colonoscopy and doing other tests, they will tell us this is IBS, not IBD. If there's IBS, go ahead, treat them with IL-17 inhibitors. Nothing is going to happen to them. IBD, don't use. 
IL-17 inhibitors. So gastroenterologist will be definitely involved for Crohn's and uh, ulcerative colitis patients. So as people are talking to their rheumatologists, it's really important to focus on making sure you're expressing all of your symptoms. Very, yes, absolutely. Yes. To try and track. It, it, yeah, sometimes yeah. I, I look at it like a, it's like a maze. <laughs> yeah, I no, I mean, they're... these are these are comorbidities. These are parts sure. of the disease. Another example would be inflamed eye, iritis, uveitis right. is a common thing. In fact, more common than IBD. We are not discussing that uh, in this uh, interview. But in that situation, we would involve ophthalmologists because they will be able to look inside the eye, will tell us whether the how much inflammation is there, whether the inflammation is getting better, etc. So it you're right. It is a, um, a it, it's a shared management between rheumatologists, gastroenterologists, um, uh, uveit specialist ophthalmologists uh, sometimes dermatologists if they also have psoriasis because psoriasis psoriatic arthritis also part of the family of diseases called spondyloarthritis that's such good information uh so it i guess in closing this has been wonderful and really a lot of interesting information i'm very excited to see how this unfolds uh hopefully in our lifetimes <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what, what do you find hopeful about learning from the connection between the gut and axial spondyloarthritis? Yeah, I think uh, this research that patients with spondyloarthritis have different type of gut microbiome has opened a uh, vast possibilities. I mean, can we prevent development of spondyloarthritis in somebody who has got the genes? So think about this. A patient uh, brings their son and say, my son also has HLA-B27. How can I prevent them from developing axial spondyloarthritis? Currently, we don't have any way of preventing it. But maybe, just maybe, I'm just kind of uh, dreaming here, might change their gut microbiome and that might prevent them from developing XLSPA, number one. Number two, again, more dreams. <laughs> if somebody, I mean, changing the diet and giving some metabolites, such simple things, if that is going to reduce your inflammation without suppressing your immune system, and wouldn't that be great? I mean, that would be fantastic. I mean, this is another way of treating their spondyloarthritis. Uh, so uh, this research is going to help us ultimately not only understand how the disease develops, but then it will also give us tools to prevention of the disease, treatment of the disease, and dare, dare I use the word cure? I don't know. I mean, these are all things that we would uh, love to dream of. We don't use these words prevention and cure in rheumatology. Uh, but but yeah. these kind of things help us uh, get to that thing inch by inch we are making progress. So that, that's what is very exciting about this research. It's really exciting, and I'm happy to dream alongside you <laughs> all day long. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. Um, and just thank you again for your commitment to the community. Uh, thank you. With axial spondyloarthritis. I know there is so much good work to be done. Uh, so we're, we're, like I said, we're all dreaming alongside you. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jill. Really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah. 
Thank you very much. And I want to thank uh, Spondylitis Association of America for hosting me. Yeah, wonderful group. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.